Unite KC family, we are in 28 days of prayer. How's it going, by the way? You guys loving this? Anybody loving it? Yeah, good, that's right. We're truth tellers today. We have, we are completed uh, seven days. We are one week into 28 days of prayer and fasting, not just prayer, but we're focusing on a, on a 28-day fast, and as we talked last week, Fasting can look different for different people, um, and we, we had an overweight and fast for 28 days, um, and if you are not here, and if you want to make that commitment and jump in at week two, it's okay to do that. On the welcome table in the back, there's a basket that's got uh, these books. I don't know where my book is. It's okay. It's got little green booklets um, and also some commitment cards. If you want to take that commitment card, fill it out and get it to me. Uh, this is the day to do that because um, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, we're going to be sort of putting our, our secret prayer partners together and getting that word out to you tomorrow as to who you can be praying for. Um, so you can jump in even if you missed last week or even if you were here last week and just didn't really know yet what you wanted to do. Get in, get in. Um, you know, the, the really exciting stuff begins to happen in week two. Week one is kind of a warm-up. It's just kind of like getting, you know, it's like getting used to it. It's kind of just getting all the junk out and getting into the flow. Really, week two, week three, week four, this is when it gets awesome. We begin to see breakthrough. We begin to get a little bit more. Those of you that are fasting food, you know, you're going to, it's going to be okay. We're going to settle into this. Um, we're looking at a, a series, a teaching series called The Door. Thus, we have The Door. Thanks, Mike, for getting this the right color of green came in here and got rid of the red, and now it matches. It's perfect. And the idea is there are some doors in our spiritual life that can only be unlocked through prayer and fasting. There are some doors. I don't know why this is, but there's some doors. Obviously, there's some doors that are wide open to us from the very beginning. The door to salvation is why. There's nothing we have to do apart from, apart from just walk in to go through the door of salvation. That's wide open to us. You know, there's no spiritual discipline. There's no amount of, of praying and fasting that can make the door to salvation open for us. Jeez, the blood of Christ has done that. The blood of Christ has just broken off the chain, broken off the padlock, flung the wide door open, and God just says, come on in. So if you, if you haven't gone through that door this morning, that's where you need to begin. That's where real, authentic, abundant life begins. Stepping into the door of life in Christ. Just to simply a matter of receiving that and saying, Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. I receive you into my own. I receive you know, your, your, your forgiveness of my sins, and I'm going to walk into a new life with you. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done any of that yet, you know, you, you don't know what life is until you begin to experience a new life in Christ. Amen? Is that true? That's it. So, okay, but there are also, are some, as, you walk in the, as you walk in the Christian life, there are also some doors that seem to be locked. They seem to sort of, you know, they're there, and we, we, we were intrigued by what's there, but they seem to be locked. And they require sort of a, a, sort of a deeper pushing and a deeper pressing in. You know, we remember that Jesus often talked in parables. He often talked in sort of this mysterious language. He would tell stories, and sometimes he wouldn't explain what they mean. And the disciples would come to him and say, Jesus, why don't you just speak plainly? 
And essentially, Jesus said, I'm speaking in mystery because some, the ones who want to understand, are going to find a way to understand what I'm talking about. But for those who don't care, it's going to be blocked for them. That's my paraphrase, right? So there are some doors that are locked, almost as if to say, how hungry are you for what's on the other side? And it's good stuff on the other side. So, and something about prayer and fasting gives us a key to unlock some of these doors. And one of those we're going to look at this morning is the door to presence. We've been singing about it. It's awesome. It's almost like we both knew what we were doing. We did. I saw this quote from Jensen Franklin. He says this, How do you get in the presence of God? You remove the presence of everything else. We're easy to just snap our fingers. And sometimes there's a grace. You know, we talked a little bit about that last week. Sometimes when you just walk outside and you're in God's creation or you, know, you just see this incredible thing and just the presence of God is so, so heavy and so real and there's such a grace. But other times it seems so far away. It seems like such work. Like there's everything else that's just crowding in my mind and just, oh, I just can't get in the presence of God. What is that? And Fasting has a way of helping to remove that other stuff out of the way. I want to read this to you, Psalm 63. Pull this up here. We got two verses, by the way, or two, two parts of the word we're going to go to. This is one of them. The other one will be in Exodus 33, so you can put your finger, go to Exodus 33 and mark that. But I want to read you this from Psalm 63. David, I love David. David was all the great things that I want to be. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was a worshiper. He was a musician. He says this in Psalm 63, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips my mouth will praise you David was consumed with this idea of being in God's presence he knew what it was like. We taught on this several months ago when David was a young boy, when he was, you know, before he was a, you know, before he was a king, he was a shepherd tending sheep, right? This is in the days before Goliath. He was out there all alone day after day after day tending sheep. And there's something about that experience in his life that taught him, even in his, even in his solitude, to be in the presence it taught him about the presence of God. It taught him how to just hunger and thirst and crave after that, that, that reality that God is right here and I'm face to face with him. And now in 2020, I, I, I believe in 20 years of ministry, this is one of the things that we have, we have thrown out, we have lost, we have discarded in our churches, especially in America, maybe just in, I don't know, but in America, we've, we've done everything else except have the presence of God, you know, and it's very easy, it's so easy to, to, to do church well and not have that sense of God is here, do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's so easy when you've got all the money in the world like our churches do in America, it's so easy to have incredible worship, incredible worship 
incredible programs. We're going to have lights and videos and this kind of thing and awesome Starbucks coffee outside and our kids' ministry just rocking and rolling and we're just loving life and the presence of God has been gone for so long from some of our churches and we just have no idea. And it's so easy. That's, that's, that's the one thing that we need the absolute most is the thing that we just don't seem to have very much of apart from an occasional, you know, sort of little overload of God's presence once in a while. So before any other door, I want to say this, before any other door is open, before anything else, before we talk about the door to provision, which is one we need opened up, before we talk about that door to, uh, to deliverance, which we need that to be opened up, to be set free of things, for God to break off some strongholds, before any of those other doors, and there's a lot of other doors besides these three. You know, we could talk about uh, just a lot more. There's dozens we could talk about. Before any of those are open, I want to suggest that the one door that needs to be open first and foremost is the door to God's presence. If we don't get anything else out of the next 28 days, from prayer and fasting, except for in a greater awareness of God's presence, then that is enough. That job breakthrough, any of, no healing, any, if that is now a, a, a grounding reality in our life, that is enough, because that's everything. I'm telling you, church, that's everything. If you have the presence of God, you have it all. And if you don't have it, you don't have anything. Case in point, Exodus 32 and 33. Can we look at this story real quick, okay? I'm not going to go, we're not going to read 33, 32, rather. I'm going to tell you a little bit about 32. We're going to read 33. So in Exodus 32, you, this is all the story of, of, God, of Moses leading God's people out of Egypt. We talk, we've been talking a lot about this the last two years because it's so powerful. Moses, let my people go. Ten plagues. They cross the Red Sea. They're moving into the, promise, into the wilderness, heading for the promised land. You guys with me? Okay, so Moses has been called by God for leadership, and Israel has been called by God to bring salvation to the world. They've got a unique role to play. Their purpose is not just, yay, we're free, we get our own houses, we get our own land flowing with milk and honey. God has bigger purposes for them to bring salvation through the, to the world through the Messiah. He wants to raise up a holy people. He wants to raise up a king. He wants to raise up a Messiah, and through that Messiah, to save the world. So this small nomadic clutch of people wandering in the desert, the fate of humanity rests on them. No pressure. And God has shown himself in incredible ways. God has been delivering, you know, 10 plagues, you know, miracles, parting the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness. He provides manna. He provides bread on the ground every morning. Because they can't plant crops. They can't go to the grocery store. What are we going to do? He provides water out of a rock. He provides meat for them. And God calls Moses to go up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, there in the Arabian Peninsula. And he calls Moses to go up to this sacred mountain, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And there Moses spends 40 days in God's presence without eating or without drinking. 40-day fast for Moses, one of the first ones that we see like this. And he's in, the, he's in there with, in the presence of God day after day after day. The people are down in the valley. They're waiting on him. They're waiting. And they're waiting. One day passes. Two day passes. 
Three days pass, four days pass. Where's Moses? I don't know. We saw him go up. There's fire, there's smoke on the mountain. Seven days pass, 14 days pass. They go to Aaron, Moses' brother. Aaron, have you heard from Moses? Aaron's like, I don't know. You, you, you went up to the mountain. You saw him. I saw him too. We don't know anything about him. 21 days pass, 28 days pass. Where is Moses? And the people start to get nervous. They've never been this long without their leader. And fear begins to set in that they've been abandoned, that they've been lost, that Moses has been destroyed, dead, eaten by a wild animal. Who knows? Maybe this God, Yahweh, struck him dead for some reason that we can't foresee. And now we're going to be all alone out here wandering around until we die of dehydration. Moses can't be trusted. And obviously the God that he's telling us about can't be trusted. We need a God that we can see to help us get through the other side. Aaron, what are you going to do about it? So they do the only thing that they know to do. They craft a God that they can see because this is what you do in ancient Egypt where they grew up. They don't have gods that are invisible. You have gods that are in the shape of things. You've got a, a, a God that is in the shape of a dung beetle, a God that is in the shape of a frog. You've got a God that is in the shape of a, you know, pick your thing, whatever it is. There's thousands of gods. And they say, Aaron, we need one of those. We don't know where God is or who God is. We need one that we can see. So Aaron says, okay, let's do that. Guys, bring all of your jewelry in. He fashions this animal. He puts it into the fire, and he fashions this golden what? Golden calf, this golden bull that comes out. And Aaron says, here you go. Here is your God. Mountain communing with the one true God, graven image. Don't fabricate anything and pretend that that's me. And Israel flips out. They sin grievously against God. Moses returns, and God's wrath is about to be unleashed. They're about to see a tail whooping they've never seen. Thousands are about to die. And if God has his way, the entire nation is going to be wiped off the face of the earth, and he'll start over with Moses. That's what he says. Verse Exodus 33, all right. Let's read. Verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, they're up on the mountain, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, Moses intervened. He pleaded with God. He said, God, please don't. Don't slaughter them all. If you do, the whole world will think that you don't know what you're doing. God relents. He says this, uh, verse 2, uh, uh, verse 1, uh, Go to the land I, will, I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a whole lot of ites, a whole lot of people in the promised land that don't belong there. God says, pack up, we're going to keep on going. I told you I would move your people there, we're going to do it. Get ready to go. I'm going to send an angel ahead of you to do this. Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And this is a tragic statement. I just imagine being in Moses' 
positions. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. Did you, did you just say what I think you said? Did you just tell us that we are supposed to go into this unknown territory that's already occupied with people to a place we've never been and you're not going to go with us? God says, that's right, I'm not going with you. I'll take care of you. I'll send an angel to clear it out, but I am not going to take another step with you and these stiff-necked people. And Moses knows this is a critical moment. Remember, he's been 40 days, 40 days fasting, 40 days in the presence of God. Verse 7, now Moses goes on, uh, verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside of the camp. This is a little bit of sort of um, like a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not foreshadowing, but when you look backwards. Hindsight, yeah, whatever, something like that, yeah. So Moses, this is what Moses used to do before he went up to the mountain. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside of the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. So Moses goes, sets up a tent, says, hey guys, this is the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went into the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered it. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. So this is not, this is not the tabernacle. It's not the temple. There's nothing been built. This is a little tent he sets up, you know. This is before the days of the tabernacle. This is a little, a little small thing made of, you know, goat skin or whatever else. And Moses just puts it together and says, hey, guys, listen, if you need to know something from the Lord, this is the place where we're going to do that. God's going to be here in our midst, but this is the tent of meeting. So if you need something, that's the place we're going to do it. And it says here, whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance to their tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance of his own tent. It means God is in a meeting. Come on, kids, let's just stand here and watch. This is a holy moment because God is there and he's meeting with Moses and he's going to say some things to Moses. In verse 11, this is the most important one, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Y'all, come on. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. How many of you saw that we can never never see God or we we would be destroyed? Right? I kind of grew up thinking that, believing that, that nobody has ever seen the face of God. No one has ever seen the face of God. We don't know what he looks like, but the Bible seems to indicate that there's something unique about Moses. He's able to be face to face with God as if it's just two friends talking, as if they just have cups of coffee sitting at this table. And Moses is unloading, saying, God, what do you think about this? How do I lead these people? And God would say, well, look, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, this, and this. And they would do this regularly. This is presence. And this is what God desires for you and I. This is what he wants for you and I. He doesn't want this just to be set apart for the super spiritual people at all. He wants to open the doors of that tent of meeting and say, you, 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 come on in. Come and sit at the table. Let's have coffee together. Let's have tea together. Let's break bread. Let's talk as friends. And Moses had a taste of that. And 40 days of prayer and 40 days of fasting took him deeper into the presence of the Lord. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. 
but you have not let me know. So apparently this is sort of now Moses comes back down the mountain, destroys the calf. Thousands of people die in judgment from a plague. Moses says, okay, God, you and me, we got to go to the tent of meeting. And they go in there and he says, God, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know who you're going to send with me. You've said this, and he begins to throw God's words back at him. It's beautiful. You've said, God, God, you've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. God, if that's true, verse 13, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. You notice what he doesn't say? God, if that's true, then here's what you need to do. He doesn't say, God, if that's true, then change your mind. The one thing that he says, God, if you really, are, if you really feel that way about me, then let me understand who you are deeply so that our relationship can go deeper and further in. If I, if, if I really found favor with you, God, then, then, then teach me your ways so that I can continue to find favor with you. That's what Moses' heart really wants. He knows that's the answer to everything. Remember that this nation is your people. Because God, when he was angry a few minutes ago, said, Moses, the people that you let out of sin. And Moses says, oh, no, no, no. This is not my people, God. This is your people. You started this. This isn't me. This is you. God says, Moses says, remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, I think the Lord took a big breath. Look Moses in the eye. And said, my presence will go with you. And I'll give you rest. Moses, wasn't enough for him. <laughs> He's like, okay, God, I need this in writing. He says, verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. Meg and I, we've used this verse so much in our 20 years of marriage when, we, when it comes time to make decisions about what do we do as a family, you know, job changes or ministry opportunities or, or whatever it is. We've prayed that we've said these words, God, if you're not going to go with us, don't let us take one step forward, not one. I know it looks good. It's the right one. It's going to pay well. Go out. It's going to be awesome. But God, if it's not of you, then I might just go out. All right. But if, it's, but if you're not going to go with us step by step, then we're not moving one bit. And Moses says the same thing. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? In other words, Moses says, look, if we don't have your presence, we don't have anything. We're no different than anyone else in the earth. We're just a bunch of wandering nomads lost in the desert trying to find an oasis. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Church, that's it. That's it. What is meant to distinguish you and I from everyone else in the face of the earth? The presence of God. We're meant to host. We are meant to. You are meant to to host the very presence of God inside of your own life. It's what's meant to set you apart from the world. Not what you do, not what you're against, not who you vote for, not what you're opposed to. No, not whether you drink or don't drink or watch this or watch that. None of that is meant to set you apart so much as the presence of God in your life. 
Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. I think heaven just weeps with joy at this moment. And all the power in our life, all the faith, all the provision, all the good things come from this one thing, the presence of God. And without it, nothing else matters. If we can't go through this door, nothing else matters. So here's my challenge for the next 21 days now. What stands in the way? Can I give you three barriers? I, what, I sense, what I've seen in my own life, three barriers to God's presence, three things that often stand in the way that prayer and fasting can help tear down. Can we do that? First one is this. I've noticed this in my own life. Willful or enslaving sin. Willful or enslaving sin. That's a big thing. Psalm 25 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy what? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Willful sin can block us from being in God's presence. And I, I make a distinction between these two things. You know, because there's a little bit of a difference. Willful sin is just that high-handed sin of like, God, look, I know what you, I know what your word says. I just don't care. That's dangerous. That's, you can't, you can't go deeper into the Christian life if you have willful, unrepentant sin in your life. If you're refusing to, to, to acknowledge that before the Lord and the Lord is putting his finger on something and you're just saying, no, that's going to block God's presence in your life. But I also have one called enslaving sin. The old timers would call that besetting sin. In other words, it's kind of like, it's not quite that, it's, it's almost like my will has been bound up. Like I want to, I want to be free of this, but there's something inside of me that keeps going back to it. I'm in the habit of sinning. I'm in the habit of doing this. And like part of my heart just loves, you know, I, just, I love this. I love this other way that the Lord has said no to, but I really keep going back to it. That can stand in the way of God's presence too if that is not yielded over to the Lord. If we, if, if we just say, if we take that posture and allow enslaving sin to become willful sin, that's going to block God's presence. You can't ask him for favor. You can't ask him for all of the blessings on the other side of the door if you're not willing to lay that down. And we're going to look at some breakthroughs. How can I get an amen? Busyness. Y'all, we get so busy. We get so tired. We spend so much time just doing lots of things, lots of watching TV, lots of surfing on the internet, lots of listening to music, lots of driving back and forth, lots of running errands, all these things. Busyness can really stand in the way of that. Third one is complacency. We get lazy because all, you know, if we have willful sin or if we have enslaving sin or if we're just getting so busy and inevitably our heart just becomes Tired. I'm tired of it. I'm just like uh, distracted, apathetic, complacent. And that crowds out, that crowds out the presence of God. It lulls us to sleep. It puts a spirit of slumber upon us. So those are three things, and there's more, but at least in my life, those are the three big culprits to, 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 to getting the presence of God blocked in my life. And prayer and fasting can help combat these. Um, I think it, it can help 
sort of give some breakthrough. And I want to challenge you if, if in these three areas to cultivate some things for breakthrough. First of all, for sin, cultivate the habit of repentance. Get in the habit of repenting. Some of you think, well, I shouldn't have to repent. Christians should never have to repent. No, that is never the case. Our sins are forgiven, but there's still always this posture of going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I made a mistake. I messed up. You know, I, I did not walk in the way you've called me to do. I didn't speak in the way you want me to speak. I failed to do this or I did this instead. Practice that, practice that repentance. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Cultivate that. Whenever the Lord pricks your heart for willful or, 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 or enslaving sin, just always be going back and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Heal me. Restore me. Isaiah 30, 15 says this, in repentance and rest, listen to this, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And fasting increases that awareness. Something about it, it increases that awareness of the things in our heart that are offensive to God and it cultivates this desire to be free of that. Second one is for busyness, cultivate stillness. For busyness, cultivate stillness. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That's the beautiful thing about fasting is it begins to starve the heart and the mind. It's not just about saying no to the belly. It's also starving the heart and the mind from a lot of the clutter of the world. Some of you may be fasting media, fasting Netflix, fasting social media. I remember one time in college when I was a whole summer, you know, I used to love music. I would turn up on my radio all the time in the car and one summer my dad or my heavenly father <laughs> the lord said fast fast from radio fast from any music in your car so the whole summer back and forth where i was going silence it was beautiful it was beautiful just to hear the voice of god again just to be alone with my thoughts alone with the holy spirit and have him begin to speak to me but i had to turn off i had to turn off the static turn off the clutter and begin to hear him. So in fasting, begin to cultivate this idea of stillness before the Lord. Learn to say no. Starve yourself of these things. Finally, for complacency, cultivate lovesickness. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Married folk, dating folk, you know what it's like to gaze upon the beauty of your loved one. Those of you that have been a while, do you remember those first few weeks or months of courtship and love and romance and just how hot of a fire that was inside of you? You just wanted to stare at this other person. 5.8, if you find my beloved, tell him I'm sick with love. For complacency, begin to meditate. During fasting, begin to meditate on the beauty of God, the beauty of Jesus in your life. Ask him to reveal himself to you as a beautiful bridegroom. Begin to meditate on what does it mean that you're the bride and he's the bridegroom and there's a fire in his eyes for you and he woos you and he chases after you. Spend some of your time reading Song of Solomon. That's not just this random romantic sort of, you know, allegory tucked in. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus for his church. This is the heart of Jesus for you. If you see my beloved, tell him I am sick with love. For complacency, cultivate love sickness.
Prayer and fasting are the key to this kind of, this kind of reality. It helps us practice repentance. It brings a new awareness of things in our life that are not honoring to God and not pleasing to God. And we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but prayer and fasting also break the power of enslaving sin. I'm a, I'm a testament to that in my own life. How powerful fasting is. It can just free us of things immediately. Fasting helps cultivate stillness. It teaches us to be still. It teaches us to wait. Fasting and prayer helps us cultivate lovesickness. Brian, come on up. Let's get some, let's move into a time of worship and closing on this. I want to give a couple challenges. I want, I'm thinking about this this week. Um, it's, it's, I mentioned this a few minutes ago. It's not been an easy week. I wouldn't say it's been an especially hard week. But my, in my own life, if I spend an hour with the Lord, all things being equal, I would say that a good chunk of that is just detox. In other words, a good chunk of that is not me communing with the Lord in the Exodus 33 kind of way. It's just me turning all the static off. I don't know why. It just takes me a while to do that. It takes me a while just to settle into the presence of the Lord and to stop fighting and kicking and complaining and being distracted and looking around. So something in a fast is normal. You know, for the first week, it's kind of been like I'm kind of there, but I'm kind of not there. I mean, I've been doing the rituals of the fast. I've been abstaining from what I committed to the Lord to abstain from. Um, but I'm not seeing that breakthrough of presence yet. So I want to keep pushing in. I want to keep knocking on that door like Chuck talked about. Ask and seek and knock. Keep on knocking. Take the key. Put it in. Turn it. Open it up. Let's do this. Would you let's let's stand up together if we can. Brian, go ahead and be playing. I know we've already made the commitment for the 28 days of prayer. We're not going to do that again. I don't have any more cards. Maybe you just need a few minutes, though, with the Lord in his presence. Maybe you just need to settle some things, settle some questions, settle some issues. Maybe you're stuck on, there's some things I know I need to do that God wants to deal with this morning. Let's just take a few minutes as we worship and just listen. What's the Lord saying to you? Knock on that door a little bit more. You, God, are my God. 
Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've looked, stared at your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. Chuck and Sasha and Megan, would you guys kind of be over here at the front to, to pray with some folks? In worship at the end, this is what we do. We kind of have another song that we sing. We just take a few minutes. And we've got some people, some of our pastors here that would love to pray with you if you've got a specific need, healing or just encouragement. If you want to make a commitment again in your, in, in your Christian walk, you're at a place of making a decision and you want to just have some guidance and some help with that, that's what we're here for. We also have a few words of knowledge that we want to pray for as well. This is what we've sensed God saying that he wants to do this morning. Number one, these are, a lot of these are, are physical, very specific physical words. <clears throat> uh, someone has a torn artery, the Lord says, I want to heal that this morning. Um, the second one is someone has an upper pain in their, in their molar, their upper left molar. The Lord says he wants to release a miracle there. Third one is arthritis in the right foot, maybe the middle bones of the right foot, some arthritis there. Shortness of breath while at rest. And finally, number five, your eyes see but do not see. I'll open your eyes and give you a gift of sight. So, Father, we just pray for a revelation of your son, Jesus, today. Father, you open up the tent of meeting and you call us all in to sit with you as friends. Father, draw us in. Draw us into that place, Lord. We can find your favor. We can see your heart and hear your words. Let's sing. If we can pray for you, come on to the front.